Uh, let's ask for God's word, uh, help as we come to his word. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you that you are the God who speaks, the God who longs that we would know, trust and enjoy you forever. Uh, so, Father, we've heard your word read uh, and we pray now as we come uh, to spend more time in it. We pray that you would help us by your spirit uh, to grasp who you are and what you've done in the world through your son, the Lord Jesus. And we pray that you would help us by your spirit uh, to understand it and apply it for our good and for your glory. Father, please help me in my weakness to speak clearly, faithfully, boldly, as I should, so that you would be honoured in the preaching and hearing of your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'm sure many of you have heard of Josh Harris. Uh, he's a famous, popular, influential Christian author uh, and pastor. Uh, he's written several books, probably most famously the one on the screen there, Why I Kissed Dating Goodbye, uh, very influential during the 90s. Uh, more recently, he announced on Instagram that he and his wife uh, had separated. Following that, he posted this, the uh, quotes on the screen for you. The information that was left out of our announcement is that I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The biblical phrase is falling away. By the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Uh, this was met by widespread grief uh, by many Christians who have been served, encouraged and taught by him, including many in our own church. Harris goes on to say, I cannot join in your mourning. I don't view this moment negatively. I feel very much alive and awake and surprisingly hopeful. I imagine for some of us, if not many, this has actually been a common experience in our Christian life. Apostasy, that is, the abandonment or rejection of faith that was once had, is a troubling reality that many Christians face. People we've served with, seen get baptised, heard profess their faith, only to give up on Jesus and walk away. For me, this has been a constant grief of life in youth ministry, but not just with teenagers people I have served with and led with. Now, this is not to say that we write off anyone who says things like this or presume it's the end for them. We should, and I do, pray, plead with God that he would have mercy to bring them back. But people walking away from the faith is a common and troubling reality. But also, so is hostility from the world. Here are some stories from August alone reported by the Barnabas Fund. A pastor was killed in the Philippines as he refused to renounce his faith. Multiple pastors have been arrested in China and churches shut down. Students at a Bible college in Sri Lanka were beaten after leaving class and a woman was gang raped and stoned to death in Syria for refusing to give up her Christianity. Open Doors is a mission agency working to support persecuted Christians and they report that there are currently 245 million Christians being persecuted for their faith in the top 50 countries that are hostile to Jesus. And although I'm sure it's not to this level or extreme, I know that many in our congregation and in our youth ministry have received hostility for their faith in Jesus whether from colleagues, friends, or even family. Whether it's exclusion from events, mockery, the sly comments, uh, hostility is a reality for many Christians. 
We're currently working our way through the farewell conversation between Jesus and his disciples in John 14 to 17. It's the night before his crucifixion and he is preparing them for his imminent departure. And as he prepares them in our passage tonight, he addresses both these realities, hostility from the world and falling away. Last week, John 15, in verses 1 to 17, Jesus called us to be people that bear fruit, the fruit of becoming more and more like Jesus as we stay connected to him, remaining in his love and in his word. But as we bear fruit, Jesus says to us tonight, he wants us to make sure we keep doing it, even though it might be hard and costly. Jesus wants people who persevere, who keep going, bearing fruit. John 16 verse 1, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Jesus made this clear last week by warning anyone that doesn't bear fruit, they will be cut off and thrown into the fire. Jesus wants persevering people. And so he both warns and prepares them for the hostility they will face by telling them why it will happen, its origin. Verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. The world will hate the followers of Jesus because it hated Jesus first. Verse 20, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. As we trust Jesus, follow Jesus, live like Jesus, it should not surprise us if the world responds to us as it responded to Jesus himself. A servant is not greater than his master. But it's worth remembering that the word world in John is not simply speaking of a place that we live in. The world is a kind of people. It's humanity as a whole united in its rebellion against and rejection of God. Just a sample, John's had a lot to say about the world in his gospel. John 3.16, God loves the world. Jesus is the saviour of the world. But the world loves darkness as it rejects God. And the world is perishing. It needs a saviour. Uh, as Jesus comes and does the works of God in the world, he exposes their rejection of its creator. As he, in John 7 verse 7, he testifies against the world that it's evil. So the world is not just united in its rebellion against God and Jesus, but actually defined by it. Verse 21 in our passage. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know me, do not know him who sent me. The world is united in its rejection of God, and Jesus' coming has both clarified and intensified the world's hatred of God. Verse 22 If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. Now, Jesus is not saying that the world was sinless before he came. Rather, he is saying that the world's hatred of God has been confirmed and expressed in its hatred 
of Jesus. His coming into the world has left no question about God's reality and God's rule. It's why, verse 23, to hate Jesus is to hate the Father. It's to hate God. Verse 24, Jesus' works are the works of the Father, of God himself. Because Jesus has come, how can anyone say that God isn't real or that God has no claim over our lives? Jesus has come and done God's works. He's healed the sick. He's given sight to the blind. He's even raised the dead. God's light has come into the world and shone brightly. And yet how did the world respond? Verse 24, they have seen God's revelation in Jesus and their response was to hate him, to kill the son. And so Jesus has come and exposed the world's deepest desire and sin, its rejection of God, now expressed in killing Jesus and they are guilty. John 3 verse 19, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because its works were evil. And so Jesus' coming is the declaration to the world that it is wrong. God is not some human construction, a figment of our imagination. We cannot ignore God who has revealed himself, and in reality, the world's rejection of God, verse 25, is just a lie. They hated me without a cause. And that's true, isn't it? If you look at the life of Jesus and how he reveals God to us, what do we see? He is generous and life-giving. He loves the world, those who hate him. He comes that the world would not perish. He comes to forgive and save through his own death, yet the world rejects him. And because of that, they have no excuse for their evil. And so although hatred might seem like a pretty intense and strong word, to reject the God who has revealed himself and saved by his own death is truly wicked. Now, if you're not yet a Christian or you're new to Christianity or just visiting tonight, that might be pretty full on and quite a bit to take in. But as we get to listen in on this conversation between Jesus and his disciples, Jesus is clarifying what is at stake in rejecting him. He's come into the world. He has revealed God to us clearly through his life, through his teaching. He's gone to the cross to die in our place and secure our forgiveness. And now risen, he calls people to repent of their rebellion and trust him. This is a generous and life-giving offer. And to reject it, to be even indifferent to God's initiative, his revelation, his self-sacrificial love, it is, according to Jesus, hatred. But as we see how offensive that rebellion and rejection of God in Jesus is, we actually see how generous his offer of life really is. He confronts us to draw us to his rescue. So if you're not yet a Christian here tonight, I invite you to come and investigate Jesus, who he is, what he has done and said. 
Because Jesus is not only clarifying here what it is to reject him, he is also clarifying the cost of trusting him. Christians share in that hatred from the world because to follow Jesus is to come out of the world and belong to him. Verse 19. Uh, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. To be Christian is not to be better than the world or somehow superior. We used to belong to the world. We shared in its rebellion and in its guilt. But having now been saved by Jesus, we have changed our allegiance, our loyalty, and therefore the world will hate you. And that kind of shouldn't surprise us. Like Imagine you're at the footy and you're sitting in the heart of the cheer squad cheering away. And all of a sudden you decide you're not going to cheer anymore. Maybe that would raise some eyebrows for some of them. But imagine if you then not only stopped cheering but started cheering for the opposite team, it probably wouldn't surprise you that those sitting around you wouldn't take that very well. It's a betrayal. You're now supporting, standing for the very thing those around you are against. And so as Christians, to no longer belong to the world but to Jesus is to support, it's to stand for, to be loyal to the very thing that the world is in opposition to. It's defining characteristic. And so central to being Christian will be hatred from the world. Now that's not to say that Christians are to seek it or desire this hatred and certainly not to provoke it. But as Christians remain in Christ and bear the fruit as his disciples, we will have the same effect on the world Jesus did and we should expect this response. We do not belong to the world. We do not share its values or ideology or behaviours. And so followers of Jesus shouldn't be too comfortable in the world but expect hostility. And if you're a Christian, I imagine that is quite confronting. And the question has to be, if you follow Jesus, do you realise this? Are you expecting it? Rejection from the world is the package deal of being Christian. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. And it is confronting, right? Most of us idealise a quiet, comfortable, fairly unnoticed life. I can't imagine any of us enjoy conflict or rejection. And so what Jesus is saying, I think it is confronting for us. And yet Jesus has been clear that faithful Christianity that bears fruit should expect and experience discomfort and opposition in the world. What it looks like might be different from the passing comments about your belief system or about you to social shame, pressure to be silent and even the removal of freedoms to share your beliefs. So for many, and especially we see this for our youth, 
It's actually the pressure to agree with and participate in the social norms in order to be accepted. I'm sure many of us here have experienced this in some form. Uh, perhaps we haven't, but maybe we start to anticipate it. When you see the response, for example, to Israel Folau, whether you agree with what and how he did it or not, the response to Christianity that has happened might make you a bit nervous. The way Christians are spoken of in the media can be intimidating and scary. Uh, I was the last uh, of my family to become Christian. I have three older siblings. Uh, and at my brother's 21st, he declared to our friends and family that the best thing in his life was that Jesus is his Lord and Saviour. Following that speech, my auntie turned around and said to me, Andrew, please tell me that Jesus is not your Lord and Saviour. You are the last hope of your family. These are not the spur-on comments to get one excited about Christianity. And so there is a danger for us as we embrace hostility that we don't just create a kind of socially acceptable Christianity that the world is okay with. Whether we do that by changing or ignoring key things Jesus says in order to never be offensive. It's why Paul says in Romans 12 that we are not to be conformed to the world. It's also why we see James 4, that our relationship to the world is an indicator of our relationship to God. James 4, he says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We'll be tempted to change Christianity to avoid hostility. Or maybe we'll be tempted to just withdraw to be silent or invisible Christians. Maybe there's the enticement to think that the world has actually got it right, that a life that's comfortable, acceptable, and seems fairly enjoyable, especially better than being mocked or hated, they've got it right, so we just give up. Jesus warns disciples of the world's hatred, and he clarifies why it will come. But he now goes on to explain how disciples should respond. It's not retreat. It's not silence. It's certainly not attack or violence, but witness. Jesus will not leave the world's lies about him unchecked or unchallenged. Verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Uh, we're going to hear much more about the Spirit's coming and what he'll do next week. But Jesus says here that the Spirit's coming will bear witness to him. The world tried to silence Jesus by killing him. The ultimate rejection of God's authority in the world. But God has vindicated Jesus as only God can. He's raised him from the dead. And as Jesus then ascends into heaven as the victorious Lord, he sends the Spirit to bear witness to the truth about him. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, as recorded in Acts 2 at Pentecost, it is the confirmation that Jesus was right, that he is God's Son who came into the world that he really is the way, the only way, and the truth, 
and the life. And so as the Spirit comes, he will continue the work of Jesus both to the apostles but through the apostles. Verse 27, he says, You also must bear witness. But he's specifically talking about those first apostles because they are to proclaim Christ because they have been with him from the beginning. They are the witnesses. They've seen, heard and touched and experienced Jesus' ministry. They They were present with him. They saw him crucified. They saw him rise three days later and they saw him ascend into heaven. And because of that, they must bear witness to the truth of Jesus. Not just that he's the risen Lord, but he is a good Lord who gives life. So the apostles have to respond by proclaiming the gospel to the world and the Spirit will empower them to do this. But notice that as they do this, they should expect the same response Jesus did. Hatred. But notice, if you look back to verse 20, they should also expect that some will come to follow Jesus and find the life he offers. He says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. The disciples can expect a divided response. Some will reject them, but some will respond as they both preach the gospel and record all that Jesus has said and done for us. We, that's why we have our New Testament. We are to receive the Spirit's testimony through the apostles as we read our Bibles. It's why we have it. That's what's happening right now as we read John's Gospel. God has revealed himself that he loves us. The Lord Jesus has laid down his life to forgive us and secure our place in God's house forever. We receive the witness of the Spirit through the apostles. But as we do that, we are then to share in that witness by telling it to others. Christ Jesus came into the world to save, to real people in real history, And what he has shown us of God is good, that he is worth knowing, worth trusting, worth giving your whole life to. So notice then that the apostles and us are to respond to the world in the same way Jesus did, with love. Love that offers life and forgiveness to those who might not seem interested, certainly not those who deserve it. Love seeks. It's why Jesus came and it's why we are to speak the truth of Jesus who is the way, the truth and the life, confident that God saves through that witness. We are to witness by pointing them to the apostolic truth. But if we're going to do that, if we are going to both trust and proclaim Jesus in a world that hates him, We really do need to know our Bibles. We have to listen to the Spirit as he proclaims Christ to us through the apostles. Jesus is speaking to them and now he speaks to us through them so that we would trust him, but we would also keep trusting him. Chapter 16, verse 1. 
I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Jesus wants us to be people who persevere and he is warning of the coming hostility so that when it comes, we won't be surprised or worried but actually keep trusting him. The greatest enemy of the Christian, according to Jesus, is not death and it's not persecution, but apostasy. It's to abandon him. And so Jesus is preparing us for reality. We will look, feel small and weak and insignificant. Jesus knows we're going to struggle. And so he warns his disciples so that they will not fall away. Now, by falling away or stumbling, Jesus certainly means to abandon him altogether. But I think it's more than that. We stumble by not doing what Jesus says. It's to be silent or ashamed of Jesus. It's to not bear the fruit of love and remaining in him. And that's important for us to remember. No one just stops being Christian in a spur-of-the-moment decision. So often it's the slow and gradual process as we stop listening to Jesus, as we stop meeting with other believers, as we start to compromise on the life he calls us to. And the pressure that Christians face is real. And Jesus says that hatred from the world can even be religious. Verse 2, he says, they'll put you out of the synagogue. You'll be killed by those who think they are serving God. And as we read what happened to these apostles that Jesus is talking to and the first Christians in the book of Acts, we see that Jesus was right. The first opposition to the gospel came from Jewish leaders who stoned Stephen in Acts 7. And then Saul, a Pharisee, a Jewish leader, had Christians killed out of his zeal for God. And this wasn't exclusive to the early church. It's continued through time, especially in the English Reformation. Christians have and Christians can face hostility in the name of Yahweh, in the name of Allah, Marx, even Jesus. But Jesus says two things about the hostility and persecution the Christians will face. Firstly, verse 3, the persecution is a sign of reality. They do not, they have not known the true and living God. Whether the persecution is religious or secular, the world is just being the world, showing that they don't know God but hate him and hate his people. But secondly, notice that Jesus calls this hostility and the hour in verse 2 and verse 4. All throughout John's Gospel, he's spoken of Jesus and having his hour, that is the hour of his death on the cross, in accordance to the will of his Father. And so by speaking of the suffering his disciples are going to endure as an hour, he is reminding them that all the hostility and persecution they face is not a surprise but actually coming under God's control and plan. Verse 4, he says, I have said these things to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. All is happening just as he promised, just as he's warned them. 
And so that when suffering or persecution comes on the believer, they are sure that it is Jesus' word that is being fulfilled. We won't panic, we won't worry, we won't abandon Jesus, but remember his warning, remember his words and trust him. This is exactly how the New Testament writers understood their suffering, a context to turn to Jesus, not away from him. James 1, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Romans 5, not only so, we also boast in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Remembering Jesus' words reminds and convicts us that he is Lord. He rules. Nothing is outside of his control or care. And so he speaks to warn us so that as hostility comes, we will respond rightly by persevering. Christians who keep going. And remember, by keep going, he's not saying hide yourself away from the world. Wait for the storm to pass. To keep going is to be actively people who bear fruit, as we heard last week. To persevere by remaining in Jesus' word, actively listening to the truth he speaks and living by it. We will persevere in being people who obey Jesus and follow his example of generous, self-sacrificial love. Remembering Jesus' words will drive us to keep being the people he's called us to be, rather than silenced or paralysed by fear. And again, this is a challenge for us, I think. When we see that living and speaking up for Jesus can be costly and difficult, we can become so fixated on what we might lose, what it might cost us, that we actually just retreat. And so Jesus is saying, don't be fixated on the world or the persecution, but on me. Look at Jesus who endured the world's hatred as they nailed him to a cross, but who was actually acting in love as he obeyed his father's command and laid down his life for his sheep. And we need to do that because it is confronting. I know when faced with mockery, rejection, or the cost of being a public Christian, I just give myself excuses. It wasn't a good time to speak up. And even if I did, it wasn't going to go well. Jesus was giving me a better opportunity later. But the call to persevere can be scary for us. So often we don't know how strong we are until we're tested. And so we need to remember that persevering in the face of hostility, begins with consistency. Being a Christian that listens to him, does what Jesus says, bears witness to him regardless of who we're with or how well things are going for us and regardless of what our culture is saying. And so if you're a Christian here tonight, are you consistent? A transparent follower of Jesus all the time. Do you resist speaking up when a comment is made about Christians? What do you tell your friends or colleagues about what you did on the weekend? Do you deliberately filter what you post online to avoid being too Christian? 
Do you compromise on what Jesus says you should or shouldn't do in order to just fit in? These are actually, I think, hard questions. The first time I ever posted online about being a Christian, I received multiple personal messages to say that they were disappointed and offended. Being mocked at work when asked for my weekend plans that included church or teaching Sunday school wasn't enjoyable. This is a temptation and struggle for many of us to be silent and to be ashamed. Yet Jesus warned of such a response. Mark 8. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. But at the same time, I imagine for some of us here tonight, we are probably not experiencing at all this hatred or hostility that Jesus is talking about. And if that's you, I think this is a good opportunity to check that that is not simply because you've become silent or ashamed. But secondly, if we are not yet facing this hostility, we are to make sure we are ready for it and will respond rightly to it by resolving to keep listening to the witness of the apostles that Jesus is Lord. We have to keep growing in our understanding of the gospel so we will persevere. Because if you think about it, what was it that caused these first apostles to be bold in the face of hostility? It was the conviction of the truth of Jesus. His life, his teaching, his love and mercy expressed in his death and especially the certainty of his resurrection. They encountered the risen Jesus. They trusted him and it transformed them from fear to faithful declaration that he is God, even though it costs them, some of them even their very lives. We are strengthened as we know and trust Jesus as the victorious king. 1 John 5 verse 4 says this, This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We must daily remind, and perhaps even stronger than that, we actually need to persuade ourselves daily of who Jesus is. The one who has overcome the world, and by doing so, we will gain the peace that sustains us to trust and persevere. Do you remember two weeks ago when we looked at John 14, we looked at the way Jesus finishes this sermon to the disciples. John 16 verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So are you ready for hostility? And if you're already facing hostility, how are you responding to it? Are you daily working to make sure you keep going? 
by turning back to Jesus, the one whose love for the world that hates him saw him nailed to a cross to forgive, to secure our eternal life with God and by doing so showed his ultimate triumph to forgive sins. Are you embracing the peace that he bought for you by his blood? And as you embrace it, are you sharing it and persevering? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And we thank you for the witness of the Spirit-filled apostles who point us to King Jesus so that by his word we are equipped to live for him. Father, we pray in your kindness you would work in us by your word, that we would bear the fruit of faithfulness and perseverance. Please strengthen us now to look to Jesus and to trust him in the face of hostility, bearing fruit for his glory in all we do. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.